We're not just COVID doctors and COVID nurses, and we're not just healthcare heroes. You know, we didn't just show up, you know, in March of 2020. Uh, this is something we do every day. The different pieces of the puzzle in Emergency NYC are reflect that, from the helicopters to the ambulance driver to the nursing and to the, obviously to us as surgeons. And I think we can all uh, celebrate this show as a reflection of our, our, what we do individually, what we do as a healthcare system, and what we do as a healthcare provider and the, for the greater good. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm Sandra Lindsay. Today, we're speaking with two of the stars of the Netflix docuseries, Emergency NYC, which is out today. I gotta say, there's a lot of buzz around this exciting show, which is actually a spin-off of the critically acclaimed series, Lennox Hill. Both are created by Ulari Films and both follow the lives of a cast of healthcare providers like one of our guests today, Dr. David Langer. He's the chair of neurosurgery at Lenox Hill Hospital and vice president of neurosurgery for Northwell Health's Western Region. I visited Dr. Langer at his office on Manhattan's Upper East Side to talk about the show, his own experience becoming a patient himself, following a serious spinal cord injury, and what people can expect from emergency NYC. We were also joined by one of his patients, Julian Primiano, whose dramatic story is captured in this new series. Talking to them, I felt like I was right there with them in the documentary. And I think that's what people are gonna take from this. Again, this binge-worthy series is out today and I encourage you to check it out. But before you do, here's our conversation with Dr. David Langer and Julian Primiano. Dr. Langer and Julian, thanks for joining me today. Your stories in Emergency NYC were just so powerful, and I am encouraging everyone to go out now and stream Emergency NYC. All episodes are on Netflix and ready to go. Dr. Langer, what are you most excited for the public to see when they watch Emergency NYC? Yeah, I mean, I think... um this series is much more of bits bigger. It's it's a reflection of um, the the the, the disparate parts of it's not just a hospital or you know a patient experience. This is a very broad look at you know lots of different pieces of a large healthcare system in the greatest city in the world. And um, I think it there's a couple of things in the trailer about the sirens are the the soundtrack, soundtrack. of the city. Best that, line. Yes. Uh, Best line that I think is really true, that um, a siren means that somebody's struggling. But mm-hmm. there's, I think it's as, as tough as it is to sometimes when that thing goes by, I hear one now, you know, as I, I, I reflect on that. And I think that to me, that's what the show does. It, it, a siren is the first step, you know, it's the first, someone gets a call for help. And then that's when that, that switch gets flicked and initiates a series of, of dominoes that hopefully results in a great outcome like, like Julian had. And so I think perhaps that's the, 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 the gift that tr- the show is trying to portray. It's up to the public, whether there's something to that or not. I think, I think it will, but um, I think that's what I'm most uh, excited about. Part of your story, Dr. Langer, involves Julian who is joining us today to share her story 
Julian, how did you get connected with Dr. Langer? I was connected via the emergency room. So I had come straight here. Well, what brought you to the emergency room? I was having symptoms of faintness. I was drooling from the left side of my mouth. I was having no expression on the left side of my face. Um, I just wasn't feeling myself. I would want to sleep until one o'clock in the afternoon when I wake up every day at six. Um, and I knew something was wrong. I, I, I waited a long time. I hid my symptoms for about a month because I was too nervous to kind of speak up and said I had a problem and we had a we could have had a major problem. Um, and then a few days before I came to the emergency room, I had taken a photo and I had sent that photo to my mom. We, My husband and I were at a wedding and my face looked very concerning to her. So she said, please, when you get back into the city, go to the emergency room. Um, we found out that Lenox Hill was with Northwell. And so we came up here at nine o'clock on a Sunday and they admitted me to the ICU immediately. And the next morning I was with Dr. Langer and Dr. Bookbar. And then what happened? What did Dr. Langer say to you? Well, the, what was going on? Down in the emergency room after they took the CT scan, they had told me that I had a mass in my brain on the right side. Um, it was quite large. Um, and then after that, we found out more with the angiogram the following the morning. And then Dr. Langer and Dr. Bukvar were able to tell me exactly what it was. It was a cavernous malformation, not to be immediately concerned, but it was definitely something that would need to be eradicated within a month or so. So, Dr. Langer, what is a cavernous malformation? A cavernous malformation is basically a kind of a type of, um, almost like type of a tumor. I mean, not a cancer, but a tumor. It's like a mass uh, that's made up of blood vessel tissue. It doesn't have a direct blood supply. Um, it's sort of like a, a mulberry with like little, or blackberry. It has little tiny little parts to it, little cells of tissue, of a vascular tissue. They bleed. They rupture or ooze. And, and then they enlarge and they can be very chronic. And she had quite a large one with a lot of what's basically what's called mass effect because the size of the, of the mass was putting pressure on her motor uh, areas of the right side of her brain, which resulted in this kind of drooling because it's primarily in her facial area. So these are can present with seizures. They can present with um, mass effect like Julian had. Uh, they can present with bad headaches depending on their location. And uh, based on the size of this and the degree of neurological deficit she was having uh, and, and her age and her medical health, we felt that it was relatively urgent to remove this so as to avoid any kind of progressive neurological deficit and, and recurrent bleeding and, and massive and, and, and pressure on the brain. Is this very common? Not particularly. I mean, probably less than 1% of people have. And they can run in families. They can be familial, but Jillian's is one of those types. People with familial ones with multiple cavernous malformations, she really just had one. In young patients, they're one of the more common causes of a neurological complaint because young patients don't get, don't have as high of an incidence of things like regular stroke or some of the other causes of no, acute neurological deficits. So as, as a group, um, cavernous malformations will be a higher percentage uh, in young people of those that can cause the kind of symptoms that Julian had. So you're admitted, you come to the ED. What thoughts were going through your head then? For the first second, I was terrified. I just couldn't believe what had happened. You know, everything, your, your life is moving so fluidly and then all of a sudden stops. 
stops. Everything stops. You know, so my parents had to change their life. Everyone in, in my life changed their lives for me. And they really showed up and, you know, I had to show up for myself and for them and stay positive because just as much as, as hard as it is for the patient and for myself, it's tenfold for the family members. Um, so I just knew I needed to go into positivity mode immediately. And that's exactly what I did. So Dr. Langer, tell us about Julian's surgery. Well, first of all, I think initially when we came in, we should know what she had. This could have been a cancer, could have been a tumor, could have been a bunch of bad stuff. Once we knew this was really a benign problem, it, there certainly we could tell her a good story. We, we gave her some options, like we could wait this out and see if it happens again. But because of the size of it, I think we were concerned that if it bled again, that it could be even worse. Because it wasn't an area where she was going to suddenly, we didn't think she would suddenly die from it or, you know, become really, really sick. So that's kind of the nature of these things. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, again, her husband was a doctor. Um, we could, I could have a very frank discussion with him. Yeah. I was, well, again, my husband being a doctor, he was very adamant about the sooner the better. Uh, my parents were a little apprehensive, of course. It's brain surgery. It's scary. Um, it's things you see in the movies. It's definitely, you know, Dr. Langer does it every day, but the normal average, average everyday person does not. Um, so you see they it on were, Netflix. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> you see the brain surgery on Netflix. Yeah, yeah you see it on TV. So they, my parents were very apprehensive, but... They trusted my husband, they trusted me, and they trusted the doctors. So they, they said, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with, we'll move forward with that. And I'm so glad that we, we did it when we did. Definitely. No regrets. So, Julian, um, you have a master's degree in opera performance from the Manhattan School of Music. Were you performing before um, your diagnosis? Yes, I was. I was performing a lot, actually, um, as a soloist, um, soprano, classically trained, also do musical theater as well, but mostly opera. Well, I can't wait to hear you someday. What was life like before your diagnosis, your recovery, and what is life like for you now? So before, very energetic. Like I said, I'd wake up, you know, big routine, go to the gym, go about my day, go to work. Um, but then... During the diagnosis, you know, I was in the hospital for a while, and then I was home. I had a, I had some seizures following the procedure, which was expected, and I was home for about four months. Um, I had to have someone stay with me, which was my mother at the time. She stayed with me all day long. She, my husband would leave to go to work around 5 a.m. She would come down from her apartment at that time. We would have breakfast together. We would go about the day together. And then my husband would come home. And then it was his turn to look after me. And uh, we started small. We would go on, you know, like I said, I, I love to walk New York. I walk all over all the time. And I couldn't do that anymore. So, you know, two blocks here and there was a huge feat for me um, during those that time. Yeah. Why is that? Were you weak? Weak on a lot of medication. That must have been very scary. Were you scared? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yes. Yeah. So what is life like for you now? What are you doing? What are you up to? Now it's wonderful. I feel so much better. Um, you look fantastic. Thank you. And like I said, coming off the medication and, and working, my epi work, working with my epileptologist um, to figure out, you know, when is the right time to make the changes. Um, it's, I've just been seeing so much improvement in my day-to-day -day neurological you know, how I go about my day. 
you know, her post-op course was difficult, you know, and uh, it, she was a trooper, you know, especially someone who's so energetic and beautiful and bright and like has all the stuff going for her. And all of a sudden, you know, she's on all these epilepsy meds that weren't saying weren't all working. They, they're, they're basically slow your brain down. She was struggling with speech and just doing like t simple things. And we knew that there's something that we could cure was curative and would leave her to be lived, have babies and get married to her handsome husband and, you know, do the things that she wanted to do. And so that was, I think the most, you know, most important thing she had to understand. But the fact is had to come out because we didn't want her to suffer from a irreversible neurological deficit. You always want the best outcome for your patients. And I knew we did the right thing, but the fact that she wasn't feeling great and was just so taken down by the seizures was, was rough. And that's why it's so great seeing her like this. Obviously, you know Julian's case and story better than anyone, having brought her from diagnosis to surgery to now being with us today. Is there a particular moment captured in the show that stands out from Julian's story? I mean, frankly, the scene that I find the most, the resume most in Julian's story was when I went to see her husband in the waiting room. Um, you know, that's that's... That's the hardest part, you know, seeing him there and knowing how much he loved her and then his, his emotions, you know, those are the things that are the most satisfying in what we do sometimes. All the mechanics and all that, you know, it's, it's great to do really cool stuff and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm like a, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, obviously, and I'm an emotional person, which some neurosurgeons aren't, you know, to be quite frank. And sometimes you're being that way isn't necessarily a good thing because we struggle with such difficult problems. But uh, these are very dramatic times sometimes in, in our business. And so when you go out there with a good, you know, good, good, good news, that's great. And, and that's something that I think for me was my most, uh, it resonated the most for me that, that, that came in the show for sure. It's been a year since you've seen Dr. Langer and vice versa. What is it like? It feels like yesterday for me. We spent a lot of time together. Um, he was very just, I mean, at every day at the end, after he would he would do his rounding, he, after his surgery days, he was there at like seven o'clock, which was never really the best time for me because that's when I would take my medication. So I would be very loopy. And usually when I would see him, I would see three of him. And he was just, <laughs> he was just great. He would make me laugh quick 15 minutes of his time, um, it really just means the world. Dr. Langer, what is oh, yeah. it like seeing Julian after over a year? Well, one of the best things about our business is that um, that the nurses sometimes miss out on, honestly, is we see people at their worst and they come back to us. And it never ceases to amaze me of how much improvement you can see in people. Um, when you see a patient who's recovered their her her you know her energy is back that that brightness is in her eyes the 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 person you I can see now you know she's back and uh, I didn't necessarily see that a year ago and um in fact you know she grew her hair longer and she um you know you can see that she's uh it's hard to even you know recognize her uh, given where she was so um that's really uh, like with a gift that we get and that's the reason why I went to nurse surgery in the first place and so you know, seeing her over there I was like whoa like you look <laughs> great like you're gonna do like, that's a big difference the creators of the show Ruthie Schatz and Addie Barash of Ulari Films spoke to E! News about why a show like this is important and I want to get your reactions to what they said, because I thought it was interesting. We wanted to portray the vital importance of each individual, 
while revealing the complexity of the healthcare system and its many moving parts. Their raw acts of humanity are usually only witnessed during the most fragile moments of a person's life, but are necessary for all to see. Dr. Langer, why do you think a show like this is important? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, first of all, taking care of people is a team effort, and um, I'm lucky enough to be working with uh, a nursing staff and a group of people that's committed to uh, um, making people better, you know, whether it's neurosurgery or spine surgery or what have you. I think that the show is emblematic of that. Um, uh, we see in, in, in Julian Julian's case a very simple problem that, you know, to her and uh, her family, she's the most important thing on earth. And she comes here asking for help. And then we provide a, a structure and, and a group of people that's committed to that. The moving parts from the neurologists and the uh, PAs and the nurses to the OR staff and the techs and then the ICU staff and then again nursing all the way through. Uh, obviously, my own story um, plays a big role personally, uh, which is very different. Um, having been on sort of both sides this doctor and patient was uh, uh, really sort of interesting. The fact that there are, well, these people are filming my life when I have a spinal cord injury. So that's really crazy. Wow. I understand you were in a skiing accident that left you paralyzed. When, when I initially, when this happened, the, the, the whole idea of having a, you know, breaking your neck and being quadriplegic and then sort of coming back, you know, while the cameras are around, um, you know, maybe one of my closest friends, I'm not a particularly religious person. And um, uh, one of my closest friends is very, very Catholic. And uh, he told me, he said something like, you, you know, you must have had an angel on your shoulder. And, um, you know, I think that uh, that there was an element of trust and like, you know, if something just, this happens for a reason, must have happened for a reason and this is going in the right direction. And uh, and the fact that we can tell a story like that, um, especially with the public sort of knowing me from the prior show, um, there, there, there clearly was, uh, that was part of it. You know, uh, I don't can't explain it necessarily, and the way it worked out obviously is is truly extraordinary. But you know, there was this incredible difference between kind of being a patient and being a physician. It, it the 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 difference of that were were just so it was just wild, you know. And um, it ended up carrying you know a, a significant place in the show and in my life. You know, I mean, to have that uh, forever is uh, uh, really you know a, a privilege, and I'm humbled by the whole thing. So. Well, I'm happy that you did well yeah, or doing well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too. You we look almost as great as Julian. <laughs> I can't look as good as her. <laughs> so, Julian, this series is out in the public for people to see. Um, what do you hope people take away from this? What do you want them to know about cavernous malformation, your story? What do you want them to take away from this? Well, first and foremost, I want them to take away from watching the the series that this, like any hospital system is, I mean, it's amazing. Um, th these, these, these people work so hard every single day. I think the nursing staff at this hospital is some of the best I've ever seen. Um, and my family, they, they just rave reviews. Um, and then next for, for my story, I think don't be nervous to say something, get to a hospital if you need to, because there's people like Dr. Langer, they're, they're ready and willing to, to help you. 
So I worked in the ICU for over 20 years here. So I know the nursing team and I know that we have some of the best nurses at Northwell, but also here at Lenoxel. We so. miss you, though. <laughs> I'll come back someday. Julian, Dr. Langer, thank you so much for being our guest here on 20 Minute Health Talk. Your stories were so powerful, and I know that it will resonate with so many people out there. And if you think their stories are dramatic, listening to the podcast, wait until you see it on Netflix, Emergency NYC, all episodes are out now. Until next time, I am Sandra Lindsay. Thank you for listening.